Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson, scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years, here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To 53342. New York, call the 24 7 Hope Line at 1 877 8 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y for 67369. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. special episode on the Count the Dings Network. I'm Anthony Mays, and today we're going to discuss the seven best San Francisco movies of all time. Seven, of course, refers to the dimensions of the city, a mere seven miles long by seven miles wide. In order to select these films, I've brought in my guests, fellow locals who are experts at selecting two films at a time for their podcast, Two Reels. We got Joey Bean Con and Davey Rubin. Boys, tell me a little bit about your latest episode and where we can find your pod. Thanks for having us, Anthony. Our 
episode is on all of your podcast networks. It's under the Two Reels podcast. Our latest episode, we dove into a sometimes high, sometimes low Tom Hardy double feature with Capone and Bronson. So we really broke down Hardy's ability to act and sometimes overact. We broke down his love of weird accents. We got into all of it. And it was it was really just a great dive, even though the hour and a half we spent watching Capone was one of the longest 90 minutes of my life. <laughs> Still haven't gotten into that one yet. If your listeners or our listeners are looking for an uplifting episode, I might steer clear of the most recent one and go back to <laughs> anyone prior to lift their mood a little bit more because it turns out Capone was a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah, save your money, please. Yeah, we are happy to give you that spoiler. You guys got a tease for me? What's in the works for the next one? Well, we uh, started working on a couple things and we decided to slow down given... I don't know if you've heard, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the media recently. So what? we figured we'd take a pause and let some of the more important stuff take light before we dove into like recent Netflix releases because there's no new movies coming out. But we were looking at Lovebirds and we're letting Rod, who's our number three, decide what he wants to do with that. But if you want to prepare or watch Lovebirds, it's a kick-ass movie. Check. let's talk a little bit about the selection process san francisco isn't featured in films nearly as much as new york or la or even chicago so the most important criteria and really the only criteria for this list is that it has to be shot on location and that eliminates movies like big trouble in little china which was shot predominantly in la and older hollywood films like maltese falcon that just only shot in studios So, Davey, what else contributes to a great San Francisco movie to you? I mean, to me, and I think for both of you guys, people growing up in the city, one of the most fun things about a San Francisco movie is seeing the city that you grew up in in the movie. I think that's a blast. Like, I don't give a shit if it's a San Francisco movie, if it all takes place indoors. I want a movie where I am seeing landmarks. I am feeling the soul of the city and I'm like reminded of the streets that I walked growing up. So to me, that's a big one is like, how do they portray the city? And then the second is like, I want to enjoy a movie. I'm, I'm different than a lot of movie watchers, but for me, it's fun. Like I want to smile. I want to end that movie like with a 50% erection at least, and just be happy that I watched it. So that's how I think of a good movie. So you want to finish with a 50% erection, but where do you need to be at in the middle i'm talking 110 <laughs> percent. yeah i'm a balloon waiting to burst if you've ever filled a water balloon and you hit that point where you know that it's going too far but you can't get it off the sink fast enough that's me right around the last 20 minutes of the movie or so wow okay that's what, that's how you guys would describe it also right that's what i'm guessing Absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) I think for me, after watching all these movies and watching, thinking about all these movies, I'm still waiting for the first San Francisco movie that goes anywhere near the neighborhoods that we grew up in and spent time in of the Sunset or Richmond District. So I'm ready for a West Side of the City movie at one point, but I don't know when that's going to happen. Some of the picks that we'll get to, I think, tap into some elements of the city that we know and love, but very seldom do we get a story that feels 100% relatable 
Whereas I feel in New York and LA, there are countless examples of coming of age tales or intimate looks at neighborhoods that hasn't really happened in San Francisco. And maybe that's because it's kind of this exotic location, I guess, if you're in Hollywood. It's not LA, it's different. And then a lot of people like to construe a lot of the Bay Area as San Francisco and just kind of lump it all together. Oh, yeah. Before we get into the picks, are there any movies that were exceedingly tough to leave off? Do we have any honorable mentions? Davey, we'll start with you. It's hard because there are older movies that are really good. For me, Bullet was the first movie that jumped into my mind, 1968. It's a Steve McQueen movie, just a movie where you basically are taken on a driving tour of San Francisco that makes no fucking sense. (laughs) You turn a corner downtown and all of a sudden you're like by the Bay Bridge and next thing you know, you're heading towards the Marin Headlands and it's crazy, but it's fun and you get to see the city obviously at a time that we weren't alive. But it's not one of my favorites. It it might fall under seven best, but definitely not Davy's seven best. So I decided to leave it off. For me, I was shocked we got through this list and David Fincher's Zodiac wasn't on it because it's not only a incredible, beautifully shot, creepy, well-acted movie, but it also is part of San Francisco canon. The idea of the Zodiac killer we were all raised on. When I was making my criteria, I leaned a little heavier into what does this movie tell us about San Francisco and how does that fit into the top seven? And for Zodiac, serial killer stories mean a lot of things to a lot of places. And I don't think it's as much of a great movie because of San Francisco. It's a great movie that takes place in San Francisco. Zodiac's a movie that creeps up on you and it's not generally listed in Fincher's apex i don't think people give it that much respect but as a journalist joe (laughs) the deconstruction (laughs) of a man and the quest to put pen to paper i'm sure that has a little extra extra sauce for you it means a lot to me i write all of my articles by cutting out letters and putting them together so it takes longer but it's worth it man it's all about the process you know my honorable mention is another serial killer story so i married an axe murderer the comedy from Mike Myers. Lots of North Beach in this movie. They have a double date at the Fog City Diner. There's an absolute classic Alcatraz tour with Phil Hartman as a prison guard. Hello, everyone. I am a park ranger, and I will be leading you on the tour. All of the park rangers here at Alcatraz were at one time guards, myself included. My name is John Johnson, but everyone here calls me Vicky. Will you please follow me? This is the main cell block area. Home to such famous criminals as Al Capone, Mickey Cohen, Joseph Dutch Pritzer, and Robert Stroud, the famous Birdman of Alcatraz. This is the cell for solitary confinement that over the years had come to be known as Times Square. Make sure everyone gets a look. Close it up, close it up, close it up. Now this is something the other tour guides won't tell you. In this particular cell block, Machine Gun Kelly had what we call in the prison system a bitch. And one night in a jealous rage, Kelly took a makeshift knife or shiv and cut out the bitch's eyes. And as if this wasn't enough retribution for Kelly, the next day he and four other inmates took turns pissing 
into the bitch's ocular cavities. This way to the cafeteria. Movie opens with Mike Myers doing beat poetry in North Beach, which I think was his inspiration for the whole character. (laughs) In this rewatch that I did this last weekend, the funniest part to me by far was that the love interest, Harriet, supposedly runs a butcher shop in the marina by herself and yet has plenty of time to go gallivanting all about San Francisco on dates with Mike Myers. As a meat man yourself, come on, that hurts, you know? (laughs) She'd be up at the crack of dawn breaking down those cows, man. She wouldn't have time to, to see anybody or just hire some help, Harriet. You know, maybe do that. A true leader knows how to delegate, and I think we all can agree on that. Absolutely. So we'll go in reverse order from seven to one. We each pick two and then we conferred over the top choice. Davey, what is your number seven best San Francisco movie? I chose San Andreas, which is a 2015 movie directed by Brad Payton, written by a trio of writers, Carlton Cuse, Andre Fabrizio, and Jeremy Passmore. And it's starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's my guy. <laughs> Paul Giamatti is in there. I've heard of that guy. I like your spelling of Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> that was straight off the cuff. Didn't even look it up. Just plain. That's how I think it's spelled. Carla Gugino and Alexandra Daddario. That's a beautiful pronunciation, Dave. That's what we come to the podcast. For. Thank you. I almost <laughs> didn't choose it because there were too many hard names. But I decided. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to dive in anyway. We're coming to get you, honey. Where are you? I'm in uh, an electronic store in Chinatown. Honey, it's going to be okay, but I need you to listen to me. Getting out of there is going to be a complete gridlock nightmare, so get to higher ground. It's safer. That's where I'm going to be able to see you. Do you remember where we spent Mallory's birthday weekend? At Coit Tower? Yeah. Yeah, that, that tall cement nozzle thing on the hill. Exactly. Don't stop anywhere. Go there. That's where we'll meet. Stay strong, honey. I'm going to get you. Okay. I like a movie that I mentioned shows a lot of cool stuff. And for me, San Andreas, is it going to win any Oscars? Sadly, no. But is it (laughs) a movie that shows San Francisco? You start in L.A., L.A. looks cool, L.A. gets fucking destroyed, and then it just shows San Francisco, (laughs) and it shows like all these great parts of San Francisco before destruction, after destruction. I could list forever all the different locations it shows because it's amazing. But for me, some of the best stuff is like we grew up doing earthquake drills in class. And anybody who grew up on the West Coast had to do that. And so to have a movie kind of like make that fear really come to life is pretty amazing. And that on its own is like showcasing San Francisco. I love The Rock. Nice seeing him hang out in the city. Probably my favorite part of the whole movie from a San Francisco perspective. There's a shot where an earthquake happens and the ground raises on one side and falls on the other and you see a tunnel. And out of it for a split second, you just see a BART train come flying out of it. (laughs) And that's so cool. Like Just the idea of an earthquake raising the ground and bringing up a BART tunnel and just a train spitting out of it. I think that's pretty fun my friend jordan who uh, is a great writer she has a podcast called disaster girls they go through their favorite disaster movies and had the best episode i've heard is on san andreas and they got on 
a geologist, I think. <laughs> Someone very intimidating. And I, of course, was on the next episode. And to have to follow someone who was just breaking down the earthquake science of San Andreas, what's real, what's not. Oh, actually, they did nail that part of this. And then I had to be like, so I have zero expertise, but let me take you through children of men. <laughs> Once read a Wikipedia about this, it was fantastic. <laughs> I agree, Dave. I mean, first off, The Rock is a man you want to see in a disaster. But also, you do get to see a lot of San Francisco in a big way. It's a pretty beautiful movie. And not only, I have to say, like, I think it gets almost discredited because it just has like the rock and all these beautiful, famous actors in it. Like Paul Giamatti. Yeah. But he's, <laughs> but he's like definitely the most thought of as a good actor. I'd say of that group. I think you think of it and you're like, Oh, it's like a fast and the furious style movie just cause you think of the rock. But in all reality, I think if you watch it as a disaster movie, it's actually a pretty incredible disaster movie. There's a lot of really cool shit. And a couple of places, I mean, it shows the Hoover Dam. It shows the Oakland Municipal Airport areas outside of the city. But in the city, like, there's a hard shot on Greenwich and Lombard Street, maybe. We see the 555 California building. We see it go down. We are in an electronics store in Chinatown, like going through crappy gadgets at one point. We land parachutes in AT&T Park. We are on the bridge going to the Marin Headlands as we see it crumble. Like it's just shot after shot after shot spots that you see on postcards getting destroyed. And so for me, that is that's money. I love it. So I had so much fun rewatching it. And I thank you for just giving me that opportunity to pay the two ninety nine to Amazon. This came right in a stretch of movies where Hollywood got really into destroying San Francisco, right? Because didn't that happen in Planet of the Apes and Star Trek right around here too? And X-Men 3. Yeah, I wonder what that was. They just got, they finally got like the CGI art down and they're like, open source, if you want CGI of San Francisco burning, we got you. It's all good. <laughs> like, what happens there? I've long believed that I was born in the year of the 89 earthquake and I will go out in the big one. So maybe I've avoided <laughs> San Andreas out of my own personal fear of seeing the future. I think you That's should right. watch it. But I will say, I think, Joe, one of the reasons that that happened with San Francisco and one of the reasons the neighborhoods we grew up in never being showcased in movies is San Francisco is such a postcard city. Like you don't ever have to go to San Francisco to know the landmarks. You've seen half of the city on postcards or in magazines. And it's not like New York where people know Brooklyn, people know various parts of Brooklyn. Nobody knows the Sunset or the Richmond, but yeah. they know the stuff that they see in movies and they see on postcards and they want to see that burn. And so I think that's, <laughs> that's the reason that there is such a phase of it is like, let's take one of the most postcard cities you can think of and just destroy it over and over again. Number six is my choice, which is always be my maybe 2019 starring Ali Wong, Randall Park, Michelle Buteau, Daniel Day Kim and Keanu Reeves. It was written by Ali Wong and Randall Park and Michael Golomko directed by Nanachka Khan. They're all creative team behind fresh off the boat, the ABC sitcom and Ali Wong, born and raised in Pacific Heights, went to all of our rivals, University High School. Oh, no. Is University a rival of Lowell? It's a specific rival for me because my <laughs> oldest brother went to university and my middle brother said no to them. 
And so they waitlisted me out of out of middle school. <laughs> they left a message on my parents' phone saying, we only waitlisted you because we don't want to mess up our admission numbers. If you promise us you'll go, we'll let you in. And my mom was ready to like fucking fight. <laughs> she was so pissed off. But I wouldn't have gone anyway. Fuck that school. They did you a favor, man. <laughs> yeah, save me from that terrible, terrible school. She injected this movie with a flair of localism that is pretty much unrivaled in most of these stories. And it ended up being one of my most watched movies of last year. One of my favorite movies from last year. It just kind of creeps up on you. It's a really well-crafted romantic comedy. What are you looking at? Nothing. Why were you looking at my backseat? I wasn't. I was just a... My chiropractor says I got to... No. Turn. Look in the backseat? Yeah. Because we had sex back there? Oh, my God. Well, that's why you were looking back there. I'm just calling you out on it. So what do you think? Seen it after all these years. That it might be even smaller and grosser than I remember. You better still be talking about my backseat. Hey, uh, by the way, it would have been nice, you know. It would have been cool to lose my virginity someplace classy, like a, on a blanket in a gazebo, <sighs> little hotel by the bay. A hotel by a the hotel bay? hotel by the bay. Who was I, a lawyer having an affair with a co-worker? <laughs> I was 18, I had no money. Well, you could have saved it. You could have stole it. You stole nuts out of the nut bins every day at Rainbow Grocery. Okay, that's not stealing. That's called tasting. That's why they got those flaps so you could try shit. <laughs> and it's all about San Francisco from the beginning to the end. Even though I'm going to forgive them for shooting a lot of interiors in Vancouver, we hit a lot of good spots in this one, including the Musée Mécanique. Wow. Which... You boys definitely remember being under the cliff house, but now sits out at Pier 45. You could tell this guy went to phase, you know, French American. <laughs> That's right. That accent is unrivaled. I'm embarrassed how I pronounced my gorgeous. names earlier. <laughs> that was incredible. Don't let me get into the Italians, Davey. We'll, we'll do that when we do North Beach. Randall Park's rocking an Amoeba shirt. They're listening to D'Angelo on 106.1 KMEL. Hello Peril, which is Randall Park's band, sounds like the opening credit song, which is 93 to Infinity. It's like they based their whole musical style off of that. We got the Four Star Theater in the Richmond, right next to Gordo's and Bill's Place, which was my favorite burger growing up. Got the Heart of the City Farmer's Market. We got a over-the-top restaurant. Inside the Contemporary Jewish Museum, Keanu's hotel room is the penthouse of the Fairmont. Randall Park cops a feel on the sphinxes in front of the de Young, and then they have a red carpet event at the Palace of Fine Arts, which is up there for most trafficked in SF film lore. What did you guys think of Always Be My Maybe? Did you watch it? I like this movie. I didn't love it, but I will say my comment earlier was unfair because this is the first movie that nails the Richmond. Me and Davey lived on 25th and Geary for a while, and this has all of the bar scenes are so ripped from the headlines of our <laughs> early 20s. Like <laughs> seeing like a kind of shitty band and a too crowded bar in the Richmond is an experience you just don't see in these movies ever. So I appreciated the hell out of that. I honestly have not watched it in 10 years. I'm sorry. Uh, it's been a little little while, but... 10 years? It came out last year! Damn, it's it weird. came out last year. Yeah, so I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's weird how at home I think Keanu Reeves feels in San Francisco, though. Because weren't they just shooting another Keanu movie there like six months ago, right before? I want him as my neighbor in the Richmond. Absolutely. I know my friends at Lowell High School 
all love this movie because it felt so real to the Asian experience in San Francisco, I think, which is a big thing. I went to a school that was 80% Asian American. And like, I think that is not present in any of the movies I picked. So I appreciated the hell out of that. There are beats to a romantic comedy. They feel good because they happen every time and you could, you're ready for them and all of that. But certain points, it's just like, all right, I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen next. There was a part where when it's so close to your life and your city, it starts to feel annoying to see cliches. An eternal debate we have on the TV Book Club podcast is cliche versus boring derivation versus running the same playbook. I'm not going to dispute that Always Be My Maybe is a cliche. It 100% is. It's a. There's no hiding that. But... I think that it hit all the notes well, and I was charmed by the performances, and I thought it was cleverly written, and I think Ali Wong is just a really interesting personality, and it's a feel-good movie for me, plus I like the music. It didn't work for me because I thought Randall Park was way older than Ali Wong. Anyone with me on that? (laughs) That killed it for you, huh? This is not a believable childhood friends growing up in the same grade (laughs) situation. Another trope of romantic comedies is that the guy and the girl are always unfairly matched in the girl's direction. Quite a line to draw on the sand, Joe. I have rules. (laughs) Let's take you number five, a movie that breaks all those rules. Speaking of rules... I picked 1992's Basic Instinct. Movie stars Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone and boy, a lot of nudity. Written by Joe Esterhaas. The God. Directed by Paul Verhoeven, I believe. He's Dutch. You know him best from Starship Troopers, but this is probably the one that really cemented him in Hollywood's heart because it made a shitload of money. This movie... I picked it because it speaks to such a 90s SF in like the imagination. These absolutely rich people be acting badly with their Stinson Beach beach house, though we have to say it was actually in Carmel. A couple of rich people acting badly in what used to be this beautiful city that's turned into this yuppie haven. In this movie, we see an opening scene where someone who looks a lot like Sharon Stone is having sex with an old aging rock star. And right as they both reach what Davey would call his full balloon, (laughs) the Sharon Stone looking character (laughs) leans down and stabs the guy with an ice pick. And Michael Douglas is an alcoholic cop who's trying to solve the case and eventually falls for Sharon Stone who is also a trashy thriller writer in the mold of Danielle Steele, a younger, sultry Danielle Steele. I think that's another point for its SF cred. For me, what works about this movie is we get to see the fancy side of San Francisco. We get to see Telegraph Hill, Urbana Gardens. We get to see these beautiful mansions and Pacific Heights. We get to see the mansion allegedly in Stinson Beach. It has a bit of like the gritty SF noir stuff that you love as well. It's kind of a beautiful mesh of what used to be like Hitchcock, San Francisco mixed with this new yuppie SF. I actually watched it for the first time in the last year. 
because on Cinephobe, we got into Showgirls, and then eventually we would watch Jade, which is another Esther Haas movie also set in San Francisco. And he has this kind of weird fascination with the city because Basic Instinct and Jade have a lot of similarities. He's so goddamn horny and weird, though, man. And it really is just <laughs> unrealistic. His portrayal of what women are like is so fucked up. But Sharon Stone kills it. She absolutely kills it. So great. We see Michael Douglas's ass, which is a thing, I guess. We see something of Sharon Stone's, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> Meow. But it did keep me guessing. It was a pretty good mystery and... You know, also, like, his psychiatrist girlfriend went to Berkeley, and there's a pretty good understanding of the Bay Area in this movie. It's also a time when Michael Douglas was just on fire. Like, every movie he was cast in was with a beautiful woman who he got to choke out when he had sex with them. This insane run of Michael Douglas just, like, being fucking crazy and having crazy sex. Like, can you imagine those years of his life? He was like, wait, Sharon Stone is going to be in the next movie? I get to do what? Uh, I'm in. I'm in. I watched this with my wife, Allison, who was not convinced on Michael Douglas as a hunk leading man. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't understand the power of movies. From 1985 on, Hollywood just chose this man to be like the <laughs> heartthrob. And he just was. That's the power of Hollywood is this guy who looks like you would run into him at the weird JCC basketball run because he's some Pacific Heights dad, is also just realistically banging Sharon Stone. And I think that's the magic of movies. The amount of people's moms who would say, I love Michael Douglas, is an astounding number. Like, everybody's mom (laughs) loves Michael Douglas, and he plays, like, this crazy person in these movies when he's the heartthrob. It's such a weird time in Hollywood. Good morning. I guess uh, Roxy's not taking this too well, huh? She's seen me fuck plenty of guys. Maybe she saw something she's never seen before. She's seen everything before. Honey, I thought I'd seen everything before. Did you really think it was so special? I told her I thought it was the fuck of the century. (laughs) Well, what do you think? I thought it was a pretty good beginning. What about Roxy? Is she more fun? Would you like her to join us sometime? Did she join you and Johnny? No, Johnny felt intimidated. Look what happened to him. Tell me, Nikki, were you frightened last night? That's the point, wasn't it? That's what made it so good. You shouldn't play this game. Why not? I like it. You're in over your head. Maybe. This is how I'll catch my killer. Not gonna confess all my secrets, Nick, just because I have an orgasm. You won't learn anything I don't want you to know. Yes, I will. And I'll nail you. Nah. You'll just fall in love with me. I'm in love with you already. But I'll nail you anyway. You can put that in your book. Number four, I was really happy to rewatch this and know that it held up and kicked ass. 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. 
This movie stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy, and a very young, handsome Jeff Goldblum. And it was written by W.D. Richter and directed by Philip Kaufman, who, in my mind, most famous for actually writing Raiders of the Lost Ark, though George Lucas takes the credit for it, you know? A true SF legend, Philip Kaufman. At one point, soon before this, I think, he got fired by Clint Eastwood while directing the outlaw Josie Wales because Clint Eastwood said he was having too many takes, which is hilarious because now Clint Eastwood's made his whole director life on one take, Clint. <laughs> you get it the first time and move on. So he really did not like Philip Kaufman. The genesis of one take, Clint. <laughs> yeah, directing style. He's like, fuck this guy, Philip Kaufman. I could do this better and I could save the studio some money and damn he did. I love this movie because of the exact time it comes out. It's late 70s. This is like right when Summer of Love, San Francisco, this whole change didn't happen. And now it's just the grimy sea, burnout hippies who are getting jobs. And Donald Sutherland, a wonderful Department of Health worker who clearly had some fun in 1969 and now it's 1978 and he's trying to button up and work a job, but he still has some distrust of the government. Both of my movies have Telegraph Hill. What is Telegraph Hill? I feel like in every SF movie, it's all you see, but like, (laughs) I don't know if I've ever (laughs) spent any time on Telegraph Hill. (laughs) It's underneath Coit Tower or something. Allegedly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you been to Coit Tower and you grew up in SF like twice? (laughs) Yeah, I've been there twice. I certainly have never met anyone who could afford to live there, but every character in an SF movie lives on Telegraph Hill. But sorry to get literary right here. I'm a writer, and I thought at the beginning of Tom Wolfe's book, Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, he talks about North Beach in 1968. And he talks about how it used to be this, like, the heart of the beat generation and this amazing thing. Now North Beach was dying. North Beach was nothing but ticket shows. And the famous beat generation HQ, the City Lights bookstore, Shig Morau, the Nipponese, oh, that's a hard word, sat glowering with his beard hanging down like strands of furs. Dentists here for the convention browsed in search of the beatniks between tit shows. Everything was the topless on North Beach. Strippers with their breasts enlarged with injections of silicone emulsion. I think this movie does such a good job with just like the nasty grime of the end of the summer of love. The movie starts in a North Beach restaurant that's too expensive and there's rat shit in the soup. And I think the whole movie is kind of about this like lost SF, which as any generation of SF understand the idea of lost SF. It feels like it's like perpetually lost. To that end, there was a great quote where Elizabeth, who's played by Brooke Adams and is beginning to fear that her husband is not who he says he is. Matthew, I've lived in this city all my life, but somehow today I felt everything had changed. People were different. Not just Jeffrey, but everybody. Yesterday it all seemed normal. Today everything seemed the same, but it wasn't. It was a nightmare. It really became frightening. It was like the whole city had changed overnight. That was my high school yearbook quote, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, a yeah, Drew, so class of 2007. That... Pull it up. 
this movie just kicks ass because it's like a monster movie and it's a alien invasion movie and like all of those it's about something else entirely but just having these really great sf artsy motherfuckers played by donald sutherland and jeff goldblum and leonard nimoy is just such a pleasure to see those guys young absolute hipster assholes it's great <laughs> i appreciate it lots of civic center because the department of health building is right there elizabeth lives in Alamo square like you said donald sutherland lives on telegraph hill there's a man who gets killed at the intersection of leavenworth and eddie in the tenderloin and this is a cameo by kevin mccarthy who played the lead role in the original 1956 black and white version of this movie Lots of homages to the previous version. They escape down the Filbert Street steps until they arrive at Pier 33 on the Embarcadero. They walk in front of the Condor Club at Broadway, which is, of course, the first topless strip club in San Francisco. She falls asleep at Pier 70 in the dog patch, which ends up being Pod People Ground Zero. Joe, did you think of Pineapple Express at all when they burned down the warehouse? <laughs> that was my first thought, too. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna blaze those pods <laughs> up, man. And then the epic final scene in Civic Center in front of City Hall. I watched this movie for the first time this weekend. It was a lot of fun. It's a slow burn because it's 1978, but it's definitely creepy and it definitely has a lot of allegorical value. And it's all about flowers gone bad, which is another beautiful SF thing that we'll get into with our first choice as well. Number three is my pick. It's The Conversation, 1974, written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Stars Gene Hackman, John Cazale, Harrison Ford, and Robert Duvall in an uncredited role. Robert Duvall also made an uncredited role at the beginning of Invasion of the Body Snatchers as a priest swinging on a swing. So I'm starting to think that in the 70s, maybe Robert Duvall was just around. <laughs> just chilling in that set. Yeah. <laughs> Very available. You guys need an extra? I'm there, man. <laughs> he had an apartment at the top of Telegraph Hill. <laughs> <laughs> He is responsible for the parrots, isn't he? That's his deal. <laughs> the opening scene, the actual conversation itself is shot in Union Square. A lot of the imagery evokes the Kennedy assassination. We've got a dude with a boom mic that basically looks like a sniper rifle aiming it at these two people talking in the crowd. This movie is paranoid as fuck. This was the third movie I watched in my 70s paranoia trilogy after Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor. Gene Hackman plays this really tortured, broken man who happens to be an audio expert, a master at mixing and assembling sound into coherence. He's got a workshop on 16th Street in Potrero Hill. The side-by-side -side of that workshop in the movie and the present day could not be more different. That's definitely one of the areas that's changed the most in the last 50 years. He doesn't live on Telegraph Hill he actually lives in Hayes Valley, so he's a progressive. And Hayes Valley didn't even exist yet, right? <laughs> Very early adopter. <laughs> Think yeah. of the projects or what? <laughs> <laughs> this movie makes a lot of use of the one Embarcadero Center, and it actually goes across the same bridge as Invasion of the Body Snatchers as well. You can tell by the huge stainless steel sculpture. He's a tortured Catholic, so we see him giving confession at St. Patrick's Church at 756 Mission. There's a convention at the Western St. Francis in Union Square. There's a car chase on Lombard where they turn right 
in front of the IHOP that actually just closed like in the last year. Wow. An SF legend, you know, IHOP. We had the first and only IHOP. Everybody's been there, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) There's a weird fake fog dream at Alta Plaza and he takes the 21 Hayes and three Jackson buses. Davey, when Anthony said the word foggy dream in Alta Plaza, did that lead to some blackouts coming back into focus? Or That's what I call my <laughs> high school four years, a foggy dream in Alta Plaza. A memoir by Davey Rubin. My next rap album is going to be called The Foggy Dream at Alta Plaza. For a very specific segment of the SF rap population. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a great character study. A very suspenseful movie where you're never really clear what the stakes are exactly. You get a young Harrison Ford coming in and kind of giving Gene Hackman the business. There's no moment between human beings that I cannot record. There's no method that I cannot figure out, huh? I could figure out any of Harry's schemes, right? Well, come on, come on, try me. Let me give him the assignment. Now, this is a quad in the center of the city. Right? Now, these are steps coming in here, right? benches all around. Now, it's 12 noon, which means that it's lunchtime for all the people that work in these offices around here. Okay, the people are walking, talking, having lunch. And it's crowded. Naturally. Come on, stand. Okay. Now, two people are constantly moving in circles in and out of the crowd. Right? We don't know whether they'll sit down or what. They're convinced that they can't be recorded because they're in a crowd and constantly moving. They're the target. Now, the assignment is to get everything they say. How would you do it? First of all, one system won't do it. All right. Hell, I could have told you that. Yeah, why didn't you? Go on, figure it out. Second of all, it's easy. All you do is get to the clothes first. You pre-rig the clothes, huh? No, there's no way of telling what they're going to be wearing. When you get somebody to bump into them, you just get a drunk or something. Bump into them, you're playing a pin mic on them. They've been fucked before. It's too risky. <laughs> You hire a lip reader with binoculars. The client wants their actual voice. Why? So we can believe it. I don't know. I'll figure it out. I, uh, I don't know. It must have been an expensive show, huh? Who was so interested in it? Yeah, it was it us? Who's us? Federal government. Private party. We take at least four passes. I did three. Three? That's very nice, Harry. What do you use? Three-stage directional microphones with MOSFET amplifier, my own design. And we got another 20% conventionally. I'm just tailing them. Paul did. It's beautiful. It really was. It was a work of art. <laughs> you should have seen it, though. These new microphones are just incredible. They really... I, I couldn't really believe it myself. We were over 200 yards away. We, it was absolutely readable. Every, every, I broke in a couple of newsreel cameramen. And uh, the, you should have been there, Bernie. It was really... What did they do? Well, they, they took the crosshairs of the telescope and they lined it up on the mouths. No, the... the boy and the girl. What did they do? Oh, I don't know. But it was really beautiful. Coppola made this right after The Godfather and before Godfather 2. It really gets overshadowed by those two for good reason, but this is a master, master film and it's a great period of San Francisco to revisit. Amazingly enough, I have a Francis Ford Coppola story. I worked at 826 Valencia, Dave Eggers' nonprofit. Definitely the highlight. Most of it was working with children and stuff, but I got to go to the fundraiser. 
and Coppola is speaking there. They have all these kids from James Lick or something are doing one act plays and they're doing them in front of Coppola and he's giving like notes afterwards. Just a delightful man doing this on stage, bunch of like very rich donors in the audience. And then he gets up and tells a story about how he's a Roman Coppola as his son. Roman is probably like 19 and Sophia is like 22. And it was impossible to get them home at all. But I said, this summer, we're all spending time at like the Sonoma property. Good to be Francis Ford Coppola, but he earned it, huh? And then he spent it. Yeah, he forces them all there. We're fucking doing one act plays. Everyone in the family has to write one. And he's like, the chances of like a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old being like, I'm down, so unlikely. But they all write one. They get the cousins out and everything. And Sophia does a great play. Roman does a great play. But the kid who steals the show is 12-year-old Jason Schwartzman, who's their nephew. Gets up there and is just the most bizarre teenager you could ever imagine. And he does this crazy one-act play, kills it at the Coppola Estate. Sophia Coppola's friend, Wes Anderson, is looking for a character for his movie, Rushmore. And she's like, I would never do this, but you got to check out my nephew. He's fucking crazy. <laughs> like, he does this amazing one-act play. And then that's how Schwartzman got to start starring in Rushmore. Wow. One of my favorite movies ever. So tell me, Curly, how do you know Miss Cross? We went to Harvard together. Oh, that's great. I wrote a hit play and directed it. So I'm not sweating it either. And that is going to take us to number two on the list, which is back to you, Davey. Miss Doubtfire in the House, 1993. Written by Randy Mam Singer and Leslie Dixon and directed by Chris Columbus. We're starring Robin Williams, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, Harvey Fierstein, and then one of the Lawrence brothers and Matilda also make an appearance. That's their official IMDb credit, yeah. This movie, first of all, hits a lot of San Francisco love for me. I have yep. partied in Chris Columbus's house across from Ulta Plaza Park, and I have slept in the house at 2640 Steiner Street. My friend lived there for two years, so wow. it actually like really hits home in a lot of ways. On top of that, it's such a San Francisco movie. It's so fun. Robin Williams, like I would say basically at the height of his power, in my opinion, he was so good in this movie. He gets himself an apartment at 520 Green Street. Where was that? Where? Telegraph Hill. That's right. Everybody knows it. <laughs> They ride the Palahide cable car. That was Robert Duvall's house, right? That's where he lived. I think it was <laughs> filmed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was filmed in there, yeah. <laughs> you can see the Flatiron Centennial building, which, as noted, Coppola's film studio moved into in 1972. 100 Embarcadero Street, Candlestick Park, Chrissy Field, City College, Chinatown campus. They ride the 22 Fillmore, which I used to take home from work or sorry, from school about work all the time. So it's such a San Francisco movie. So fun as kids, seeing kids having fun in San Francisco. And pretty sure if you grew up in San Francisco and hadn't seen Miss Doubtfire, you just weren't allowed to live in the city anymore. So pretty just amazing yep. film. And it really, it's so San Francisco and so funny. Like, it's just, it must be one of the most famous San Francisco movies ever. And Robin Williams... One of the most famous San Francisco residents, maybe, of all time. That's right. Absolutely. His daughter, Zelda, went to my high school. I drove through the Robin Williams Tunnel on Sunday to go up to Novato. 
he is one of the heartbeats of the city, and this movie is him absolutely Davy at his apex. Your Honor, in the past two months, I have secured a residence. I've refurbished that residence and made it an environment fit for children. Those are your words. I'm also holding down a job as a shipping clerk. So I, I believe I met your requirements. I had a schedule. In regards to my behavior, I can only plead insanity. Because ever since my children were born, the moment I looked at them, I was crazy about them. Once I held them, I was hooked. I'm addicted to my children, sir. I love them with all my heart. And the idea of someone telling me I can't be with them, I can't see them every day, it's like someone saying I, I can't have air. I can't live without air and I, I can't live without them. Listen, I would do anything. I just wanted to be with them. You know, I need that, sir. We have a history. And I just... They mean everything to me, and they need me as much as I need them. So please, don't take my kids away from me. You would see him around. He was like the actor who made you realize that actors are real people. I live in L.A. now, and you see random celebrities around. And in San Francisco, that just was not a thing, except everyone had a Robin Williams sighting because he was just like, actually around the city it felt like that when we were growing up but it was actually true he was mega famous a-list at the time of missed outfire and he was also just showing up at soccer games hanging out at random parent-teacher conferences things like that like he was very in the city in an amazing way i remember he would come to the soccer games and he would sit on the sideline looking like shit and he would make jokes that were not funny and everybody laughed like painfully. <laughs> and that was like the power of Robin Williams. He was like the mayor of San Francisco, even though he wasn't. Great movie. And just like so, so San Francisco through and through. Also, we've got the child of divorce element. Right. Which for me personally, I think both of you boys, your parents stayed together. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. But over here, I'm raw emotionally when I watch this movie because it takes me back to and your parents just can't figure it out anymore. And then your mom starts dating James Bond. Classic problem. It's really a problem. You know, <laughs> I also, I did meet Pierce Brosnan in a art museum in New York once. And I stood next to him for like three minutes and he didn't say one word to me. Weird. I know. You didn't like this? <laughs> I will forever regret not trying to hold his hand just to see what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> you could have a sequel, Dave. You know, <laughs> missed out fire too. He's still kicking. I'll go find him. <laughs> Robin Williams' kid movie move is now like held up as a, a sample of what a lot of comedians do when they like go wrong and sell out. But maybe it's just our age or I don't know, or our relationship to Robin Williams. These movies were so fucking important growing up. They were so big. Aladdin, Missed Outfire. I stand for Flubber. Great basketball scene, you know, like, come on. Patch Adams. It made cross-dressing hot. San Francisco, you know, it was a pretty progressive that, city. Nothing, yeah. Probably one of the most famous movies about cross-dressing. So there you go. Shout out to Harvey Firestein as the gay brother. I don't think we have any other prominent gay characters on the list, given that this is San Francisco, the gay mecca. I feel like you're forgetting the incredibly offensive 
lesbian portrayal and basic instinct that led right. to oh god roxy <laughs> roxy anger throughout the lesbian community after when that movie <laughs> came out so <laughs> this is a better better portrayal I'm, I'm more impressed with this one <laughs> so that takes us to the top of the list the number one san francisco movie it's a damn good movie don't get me wrong it might not be the best movie pound for pound ever made in san francisco but it is the most san francisco movie by far and that is the last black man in san francisco this here this is the edge bro the final frontier of manifest destiny last edge of the city man two steps further you'll be drinking that filthy salt water but we built these ships starring Jimmy Fails, Jonathan Majors, Rob Morgan, Finn Whitrock, and Danny Glover. It was written by Joe Talbot and Rob Reichert, story by Jimmy Fails, directed by Joe Talbot, who went to School of the Arts. And Joey, I first heard about this movie from you, man. You put me onto this. Joe Talbot kicks ass. He is one of the up-and-coming directors working right now. I was lucky enough to stumble upon the GoFundMe in 2015 for this movie. Someone shared it on probably Facebook if it's 2015. I reached out to Joe and Jimmy and got to hang out with them in the mission one day and profiled them for Vice back in 2015. And they made one of the greatest teaser trailers I've ever seen in my life and raised a shitload of money on GoFundMe and literally convinced Brad Pitt and A24 to fund their movie, which is like magic. But they showed that there was enough interest. They showed that there was this big push for this kind of story in this kind of San Francisco. And they just did it. You know, they bootstrapped it into what looks like one of the prettiest movies I've ever seen. The opening scene is a opera. It's a gorgeous movie. Like front to back is stunning. I saw it in a theater in Austin, Texas when it came out. Like this movie had reach. People loved it. It's made by people from San Francisco. Zach Goldstein, good friend of mine, he knows Joe Talbot well. And he's credited as like the first person to believe in this movie, <laughs> something like that. So it's like, it's so San Francisco to have those shout outs and be like, you're not going to forget about anybody who was involved, even if they were just like your buddy from SF who had your back. Obviously, us being from there and knowing all that about it makes it feel even more San Francisco. But I mean, the whole thing is just like shots of the Bay, shots of old school San Francisco houses. It's a really cool movie. I was lucky enough to go to the premiere because I've stayed in touch with Joe. I've been to a fair amount of premieres now for just writing about movies. And this one, the energy. Okay, Joey. All right. Cool, man. Yeah. Humble brag. The, <laughs> the energy of 
how many people knew Joe growing up. You know, everyone knew Jim growing up. It was all of their just actual friends and family from San Francisco. And the laugh lines that hit when the realtor says he goes to St. Ignatius or when you see his name is Newsome or things like that. Like the little jokes throughout the movie hit so hard because this is a movie written by San Franciscans for San Franciscans in a big way. That's part of the power of it. The basic plot is that Jimmy, and this is based on his real-life story, is trying to reclaim his grandfather's house, which is supposed to be in the Western edition, but for purposes of the movie, is in the mission at 959 South Van Ness. This movie might be the first movie ever to put Bayview Hunter's Point on camera (laughs) and set scenes there. There's an amazing 19th century farmhouse at 901 Innes Avenue in Hunter's Point. We visit the Alice Griffith Housing Projects, a.k.a. Double Rock, and the Hotel Metropolis, which is an SRO hotel in the Tenderloin, both of which have been demolished since the movie was filmed. They turned the beach chalet, where we've all been, I'm sure. They turned it into a bank because of the mural. The realtor, Newsom, played by Finn Whitrock, his windows overlook the new Mission Theater, which is now an Alamo draft house. Joe Talbot said, I wanted that sign in particular. I remember sneaking onto the roof of that building back in the day. Monty works in the seafood section, so we've got a there we go. butcher, and so I married an axe murder, and then we've got a seafood worker at Sunset Supermarket. And we got a meat guy hosting this, you know? There you go. Full spectrum. <laughs> the insanely recognizable bus stop at Castro and Market. Talbot said, you have to ask Film SF why, but this was the only bus stop you can have a naked person at. And then another quote from Talbot, we also have, you know, falling along the proud line of geographically inaccurate San Francisco movies. In ours, we go from Portola, we have the old greenhouses, then they cross Bernal, and then they're walking through the mission, they're on Shotwell, I think. And then walking past a row of Victorians and they're skating through the Tenderloin. I think the fact that he actually knows that is one of the big <laughs> perks of this movie. And we'll talk about it because it feels like a lot of L.A. directors pop into San Francisco and make their SF movie. And for a local, like, geography just breaks your brain. I really appreciate not only that they found these spots within the city, but that Joe's thinking enough about it to, you know, have fun with that in that way. This movie also has a sense of the other and a sense of the invader more than any of the other movies we've talked about. There's that amazing scene on the bus. City blows, big time. I mean, whatever. I'm not above living in a former crack house, you know. But I came here for Janice in the airplane, not to work at a fucking startup. Dude, I've, I've been saying for months, let's just move to East L.A. The city's dead. Yeah. Seriously, fuck this city. Excuse me? You don't get to hate San Francisco. Sorry, what? Yeah, dude, I mean, sorry, but I'll hate what I want. Do you love it? It's, I mean, yeah, I'm here. But do I have to love it? You don't get to hate it unless you love it. Classic community shit. And that's how I feel. I know know you guys probably feel the same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Something that stuck with me 
when I got to interview them that first time, so much of what was exciting for Joe and Jimmy about making that movie was that they're skaters, you know, they're from the city. They've seen all these spots. I feel like as a city kid, you collect these spots, whether it's to smoke blunts or when you're younger to explore or when you're older to show people you're trying to show the city. Oh, this is like the real spot is where we used to go. And I think for him, and for both of them, they were like, Joe said this to me, like the nicest views in San Francisco are on the hill out in Hunter's Point. And he was saying that in regards to the fact that like Hunter's Point isn't safe from all of this gentrification either. It's like, it's only a matter of time. And that's the problem with the city is the city is fucking beautiful, but because it's beautiful, it's also temporal and like hard to hold on to because it's seven by seven miles. It's tiny. This movie does such a good job of understanding that idea though. You can't hold on to this city. It'll break your fucking heart. Yeah, it doesn't matter what generation you are in San Francisco. You feel like the San Francisco you grew up in is already gone by the time you're like 18, whether you're, you know, 60s or whether you're our age. And the other thing that's cool, Anthony, you mentioned that it really highlights Hunter's Point. You see Hunter's Point in lots of movies, but it's always the shipping yards. It's like they skip over the neighborhood and they just go straight to the shipping yards And it's this huge part of San Francisco that not only do you never see in movies, you also never see growing up there. You don't take a wrong turn and end up in Hunter's Point. It has to be pretty intentional because it really is the side bubble of the city. And the movie was very intentional about showing it. So I love that. It feels like an active journey into Hunter's Point, which was probably my favorite part of the whole movie. I'll tell you what neighborhood you didn't see get destroyed in San Andreas. Hunter's Point. That's right. So you're telling me, Davey, that if Mont's granddad had lived in Telegraph Hill, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a better movie? I mean, big Hollywood, you got to get Coy Tower the shot. You know I would have been in. You know I would have been in. But I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for uh, big Hollywood stuff. What can I say? I'm a size guy. <laughs> to wrap up, I feel like we still have not even touched the Sunset District except for the fish shop was in the sunset. But like, what's your dream sunset district movie guys? Who are your stars? What's the story you're telling about the sunset district? I feel like a really good Kung Fu movie based in the sunset would be really dope. You were raised going to like some dojo on 24th and Noriega. And like every day after your dojo session, you would go get like a bad burrito at the shop next door. And one day, Miss Lopez and her husband's shop gets burned down. And it's finally time because you're the head of your dojo is too old to fight back. You have to take that black belt and you're striking back yourself. And I'm thinking this is a Goonies style buddy movie. Like he's getting all the kids from the dojo. Kind of a three ninjas kickback type thing. Mm. I'm going to go a completely different direction. So on my birthday, I went on a walkabout to the beach and then up the coast to the park. And the entire time I was trying to figure out which house exactly was yours, Davey, because I couldn't totally remember. But in our searches, we encountered a house on ocean beach that my friend said looked like a brothel. So we're going back in time. We're going gold rush days. We're going brothel on the beach, Deadwood style, Ian McShane, as the owner of a brothel on the beach, Ocean Beach, San Francisco, 18, 
49. I love that idea because the sunset only half existed at that point. So it was just sand dunes down there. And a brothel. Yes, I like the idea of a brothel. Not connected to any other buildings. Nope. Nothing else around. And you have no transportation. You have to walk or by horseback get to the brothel on the beach from (laughs) Geary Street, where you actually live and there are neighborhoods. I love that. I want an Adventureland type movie at Playland, late 50s, early 60s period piece, but it's just some like cutesy love story with outer sunset kids who work the summer at Playland. That's the movie I want. Can we have like the roller coaster break down midway through the movie due to rust hazards, which is one of the reasons (laughs) they had to shut it down? It's because you cannot have a theme park that close to the ocean. It's, too, it's not too safe, but I love that about it. I Ooh. love that about it. <laughs> or a movie about the victims of the seven pool pool house that burned out. Ooh, okay. Now we're talking. That's the sequel. Yeah, that's <laughs> history. That's, all, that's where all of our movies touch base together. You have <laughs> grandchildren of the brothel, great great grandchildren <laughs> of the brothel, who are learning kung fu. They're at Playland, <laughs> and they have to go to Sutro Baths to save the victims of the fire. Oh, I love that. An old man Sutro is a creepy, like Anthony Hopkins style character that. Pulls the strings of the whole operation. Maybe it's Robert Duvall. <laughs> it's Robert Duvall! Yeah, but he's not getting credited, and you know that. <laughs> See, that's what's great about Robert Duvall. Doesn't need the credit. The man never needs the credit. He says, when you see me creepily swinging on a swing, you know it's Robert Duvall. <laughs> if you need the credits, <laughs> I'm not doing my job. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much to Davey and Joey of Two Reels Podcast for joining me for this seven best San Francisco movies definitive list. All the producers out there, you can reach out to us for this sunset trilogy that we've got cooking. I'm Anthony Mays, and we will see you next time. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to
Thank you, sir. What else you got? <laughs> 